everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is our president and CEO, Ron Howergan. Ron, welcome back. How are you, sir? I am good. I hope you are as well. I am doing all right, and we've got two things to talk about today. Uh, one is a continuation of a story we've brought to you a couple of times, and that is the uh, the results of Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina uh, becoming able to be act more like a for-profit organization. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about some of the language that we're seeing uh, from some of the payers towards Medicaid providers. And Ron, that story I know is personal to you because it deals with uh, one of your clients and mm-hmm. uh, a conversation that you have with the payer. But first, let's let's start with Blue Cross uh, Blue Shield of North Carolina, one of the nation's largest Blue Cross plans. And uh, Ron, I guess let's back up a little bit and talk about uh the decision by the state legislature to allow them to act more like a for-profit company. That's a little bit odd for, for Blue Cross plan, isn't it? Well, it's odd for the nonprofit ones, right. you know, about half of the Blue Cross plans across the country are, are for-profit and the ones that have nonprofit have been sort of resistant to, um, you know, changing their status. North Carolina has, has allowed Blue Cross to basically have a, you know, a separate company that they can make investments with and do some for-profit stuff with. But it, it is definitely a change for the for the North Carolina landscape. And if I recall, it, it sound, even though the governor signed it, uh, the governor, I think, was a little bit apprehensive about it. I know the uh, the state treasurer, Dale Falwell, was totally against it. But, of course, he's been angry at Blue Cross for a while now. Um you know, other than the state legislature getting it passed was, you know, what was the main reason for wanting to do this? Well, so people were concerned about it. And the governor was concerned about it because, you know, Blue Cross in North Carolina has always been viewed as that insurer of a last resort and a nonprofit entity and, and, you know, acting more like a for-profit entity. They're worried about how that's going to change. Now, uh, Blue Cross is able to exert a fair amount of pressure on the state to say, look at all these things we do, and we don't have to do those things. And, you know, so there's a little bit of a push-pull there. Um, I don't necessarily think that, you know, that things are going to change dramatically overnight with Blue Cross in North Carolina. I don't think they've got some, you know, grand nefarious scheme here. But it always raises a question, you know, the the whole concern about for-profit insurance companies and whether they're what's in their best interest is in conflict with the patients is at mm-hmm. least a legitimate question. Yeah. And uh, is how much of this is a result of them, do you think, losing the state health plan to Aetna? I, I think they're unrelated. Okay. Um, I really do. Yeah. I, I didn't know if there was a, a increased push to see them uh, get this passed in the legislature following that decision. Um, I know that that was held up in court and I haven't seen anything about that since. So we won't, we won't touch on that today unless you've got an update. No, it's still sitting there and it's yep. not that that transition wouldn't happen until January 1 of 2025. So we're more than a year out from when that right. would, would, would take place. Well, the main story that brought this to my attention today, Ron, was an article in Becker's payer issues, and we'll have it shared in the show notes as well, uh, about the decision by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina to purchase all of the North Carolina locations of FastMed. And FastMed is a uh, national uh, retail healthcare chain. They have some urgent clinics, uh, you know, primary care, that sort of stuff. And they operate in several different states. And actually, what I found out that was interesting was Blue Cross of North Carolina uh, already owned a minority, non-controlling uh, interest in the company. 
but they've decided to go ahead and buy these locations in North Carolina. So, Ron, what does that mean for Blue Cross in North Carolina, and what is that going to mean for uh, those fast med locations? Yeah, I mean, Blue Cross invested in these a while ago, um, and I think their their motives were pretty pure. It was to try to make sure there was more access to care in largely rural areas in North Carolina, and they did that. Um, and I don't know if their if their decision to buy the sites outright was one of you know because they were in financial trouble or Blue Cross has some design on this, but um, it, you know they are now a a owner and provider of care. Um, whenever an insurance company owns physicians or provisions of care, you know, it always raises some potential concerns. Blue Cross is trying to sort of alleviate those concerns by saying that FastMed will continue to run as independently from Blue Cross, which mm-hmm. I don't know how you can be owned by somebody and truly be independent. Right. But, um, and they also said that they're going to continue to take all patients, not just Blue Cross members. And obviously that'd be one of the concerns is, you know, would a, a payer buy that up and then remove them from the network of their competitors? Mm-hmm. Um, and at least right now they're saying that they wouldn't do that. So, you know, I, I don't think this one is a huge deal in that it's only five urgent care locations across the state, et cetera. But it, it is an example of a bigger issue of insurance companies becoming physician owners or, or providers of care. Um, you know, United Healthcare now owns or is affiliated with over 70,000 physicians across the country. Mm-hmm. They're the largest employer of physicians in the country. And, you know, it, it those, those situations raise some concern. Do you want your doctor to be owned or controlled by your insurance company? Right. And, and I was going to bring that up because if I recall correctly, the, the Oak Street um, primary care chain for seniors, which also has the AARP affiliation. Isn't that affiliated with the, the United Healthcare AARP co-branded product? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there's a lot of things now that are starting to consolidate um, where you've got everything like from CVS, a pharmacy chain owning Aetna right. to yep. Optum, the United arm that, that owns physicians, owning physicians and amatory surgery centers and dialysis facilities and all these other. So, you know, it's a really, I think, concerning development because of the inherent conflicts between payer and provider. Yeah. Thinking about it, big picture, if you don't mind putting your economist hat on for, for a few minutes, you know, we, we always talk about that the free market is important and it helps um, keep prices down. That's why certain uh, there's been uh, Sherman antitrust legislation to keep groups from, uh, you know, um, colluding with one another. We all heard about colluding about six years ago. And uh, there's also uh, the, the, you know, the reasons why groups like we talked before about Anthem and Cigna not being able to merge. Um, although I know that there were some other issues with that one as well. But what do you think this is going to do if we keep seeing a lot of this consolidation happening where, say, 10 years down the road, perhaps the majority of retail urgent care is run by an insurance company? Yeah, I mean, as a as an economist and a consumer, this I find this deeply concerning um, because as an economist, it does remove a fair amount of what we like as free market and competition. Um, it creates opportunities for some some predatory pricing for other things. Now, the other thing that bothers me as an economist is that insurance companies are exempted from antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. So that I don't like. You know, they they can do things without fear of being 
you know, investigated or, um, by the FTC over antitrust violations. As a consumer, I don't like it because, first of all, I'm not sure how much transparency there is around this. Sure. I'm not sure how many patients are seeing one of those 70,000 physicians that's owned by United that truly knows that their insurance company actually controls their doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a consumer and, and someone as an economist, it makes me concerned about, is that physician truly doing what they think is right for me, the, the consumer, the patient, or are they doing what they're told to do? Right. Um, now, I have similar concerns about hospitals owning physicians, so it's not just an insurance company thing. Um, but this development and this continued approach um, is concerning. I saw something the other day that now over 50% of all the practicing physicians are sort of owned by someone, meaning either a hospital or an insurance company or, or some other entity. They're not independent. That's, you know, that's an alarming number. Right. I, I completely agree with you. And and let me ask you this then, too, because this will inevitably get brought up in this kind of conversation. How does uh, something like this where you have, you know, you could take hospitals owning physicians or private equity or insurance companies owning physicians. How is something like that different from, you know, the story last week on the Friday Pulse Check where Ascension Michigan and Henry Ford Health were going to merge in Southeast Michigan, forming the the largest hospital system in the state by revenue. How how are these two uh, types of mergers and acquisitions different? Well, it has to do with either with with what economists would call either horizontal or vertical integration. Okay, mm-hmm. horizontal integration are when two entities who like hospital mergers, who in essence provide the same service and are are therefore potentially competitors, merge and get together. Now. In the hospital merger scenario, there are some very specific and mathematical um, hurdles they've got to clear um, without getting into, you know, gory details that only nerds like me would enjoy. <laughs> um, you know, there's what's called the HH index. And it's a mathematical formula to say, does this create a problem or not? And it measures consolidation in the market before and after. Thought being that too much consolidation is bad. Okay. So that's a horizontal merger. A vertical merger, merger or or control is when things up and down the product chain, if you will, start to merge. If a, you know, if um, an auto manufacturer bought um, the only tire manufacturer out there, that's that's for more vertical. That's what's happening when insurance companies or hospitals are buying physicians. Mm-hmm. They're doing that vertical integration, and, and each has concerns to it. The problem with the vertical stuff is a, it's less. Um, it's not as easy to object to from an antitrust perspective as the horizontal stuff. And it's like I mentioned before, insurance companies are exempted from it. So even if it is a problem from an antitrust perspective, there's not much that the FTC can do about it. So that's why that one's a little bit more concerning. Well, we'll have this story about Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina in the show notes for the program. Uh, You can find that wherever you're listening to this podcast or at flatlining.net. Ron, the second thing I wanted to talk to you about today is a uh, kind of a a post that you made on LinkedIn earlier. uh, I guess it was last week now that this podcast is out uh, called Let Doctors Be Doctors. And it had to do with a a meeting that you had between one of the managed Medicaid providers and uh, one of our clients at Fulcrum Strategies. And I... Talking about the uh, the risk uh, and having the, the the physicians take on some of the risk for some of these uh, for some of these uh, managed Medicaid patients, and I guess 
first of all, for, for nerds that aren't like us <laughs> that are listening to the program, what, what's, what's the whole risk thing and um, why, why is it important and why is it part of a discussion for some of these managed Medicaid contracts? Yeah, and, it, and it's not just managed Medicaid. We're seeing it on commercial. We're seeing it on managed Medicare. This one happens to be a Medicaid product. But basically, risk is what insurance companies are all about. You know, in, in essence, insurance is a game of risk. You you take in a fixed amount of money. That's your premiums. And, and if we think about auto insurance, you pay a monthly premium for your auto insurance. And if you never get into an accident, your insurance company wins. And if you total your car the first month you paid a premium, they lose. That's risk. Mm -hmm. You know, they're betting that more people will not get into accidents than get into accidents. And they set their premiums based on that, that risk profile. Health insurance is the same way. And so the concept of the insurance company transferring risk to the provider is one that has been out there for a while, but it's, it's you know, reared its ugly head in this discussion where the insurance company said, hey, what we would like for you to do, Mr. Provider, is to help us with this risk. We want you to be at risk as well. And, and they're talking about 50% of the risk, both on the risk side, and they're then willing to share 50% of the reward if things are better than what they thought. Um, but that's this idea of transferring risk to providers. In my opinion, providers really aren't well adept to take that risk and probably shouldn't. Right. So with risk in, in say the auto industry or, or, uh, yeah, we, uh, we'll take the auto industry, for example, since you brought that up, that would be if you're a bad driver and you've got a record of being a bad driver, you're a high risk, um, uh, person to be insured rather in, in insurance companies either aren't going to want to insure you or they're going to charge you a higher premium. What does risk look like in the healthcare world? What does a risky patient look like? Well, the healthcare world is actually even worse from a risk perspective because it's it's much more of a skewed curve. You know, the the risk on on drivers and accidents is fairly predictable. You know, we don't have like oh two percent of the drivers control almost all the accidents. Accidents are fairly for a lot of for a lot of people fairly random. And insurance, health insurance is different. We know that 5% of the people in this country consume 50% of all the healthcare costs. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a highly skewed population. We also know that the bottom 50% of the people consume less than 5% of all the healthcare costs. So you've got this huge group of pretty healthy people and a very small group of people who, you know, for whatever reason, have high disease state, high risk. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why transferring that risk to providers is a, is a sort of a scary component because it doesn't take too many of those 5% people and suddenly you're underwater. Right. So tell me a little bit about the conversation you had with this managed Medicaid organization and, and what they were asking uh, uh, this provider to do and what your response was. Yeah. So basically they were asking the provider to on a, on a Medicaid population, which was a challenging clinical population just to begin with to sign a three-year deal and, and, and take the first year sort of 50% of the risk, second year 60 and the second and the third year 75% of the risk. Now, the first thing is whenever an insurance company wants you to do something, it, it's a little bit like when people say, um, gosh, I, I don't know why in Vegas, why they give you free drinks when you're at the craps table. And you say, well, they're not free at all. You know, they know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They know how much they're going to win. They know that the odds are in the house's favor and they want you to sit there. They want you 
to be at that table because they know the longer you're there, the more they're going to win right. on average. Well, if the insurance companies are trying to push off risk, it's because it's in their best interest to do so. They wouldn't do it if they thought you would win all the time, just like they wouldn't in Vegas give you free drinks if they thought you'd win every hand of blackjack. Mm -hmm. The odds are stacked against you. So that's my was my first concern. But basically, they were trying to push that risk off. And, and the part, and this is part of what I put on LinkedIn, that really sort of offended me was the way they couched it or the way they said why they should. Um, the first thing they said was that they needed to move to risk because all these years, the physicians had just been billing and billing without any quality component. Hmm. And I found that deeply offensive yeah. because I thought, well, you're either suggesting that these doctors have not been providing high quality care to these patients, or you're suggesting that if you just put some of their money at risk, then they would start providing high quality care, that, that, that their care they provide right. was driven by how much money and reimbursement was threatened. That I found offensive and, and not true. Um, yeah. Especially when we're talking about a Medicaid population where they're already providing care below their cost. Mm -hmm. It's charity care, basically. Um, and then the next comment was, well, you know, we need to move risk so that you guys have some chips in the game. And again, I found that offensive. And I was like, what, what do you mean chips in the game? We've got chips in the game. You know, we've got chips in the game where we're trying to make payroll in an environment where our costs are going up, but our reimbursement isn't. And if you look at Medicare, our reimbursement's going down. You know, we've mm -hmm. got chips in the game when these patients are non-compliant and then a bad outcome happens and we get sued by, you know, a malpractice attorney. We've got chips in the game when these patients don't show up for an appointment and we still have all the cost of staffing that hour. We just don't get any revenue. So I found both comments a little offensive coming from an insurance company. And that's why it made me write the post to say, I tell you what, why don't you be an insurance company and let us be doctors? Um, how about you stay in your lane? We'll stay in ours. That was sort of the basic message of it. Yeah. Well, and, and to throw another one in there, if this client was in North Carolina, if there's, they got chips in the game with the fact there's going to be what, 600,000 new Medicaid patients coming on in the next year or so, uh, if they get the enrollment that they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is going to get more and more people. And again, um, you know, Medicaid expansion from one perspective is a wonderful thing. There are mm -hmm. a lot of people who are going to get healthcare who don't have it right now. And, yeah. and so I don't want to make it sound like, oh, this is just the worst thing in the world. So for those people, it, it could be a lifesaver, literally. But what I wanted people through the post to understand is Medicaid already pays below cost. Yeah. Okay. Which means these doctors are doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Financially, it's a stupid move for them to see Medicaid. They should never do it but they do it because they're doctors, they have compassion. And for an insurance company that is making money on this product, and they are making money, mm -hmm. to come in and say, you know what, you need some chips in the game. Or, you know, you've been doing all this without quality. I just found horribly offensive when they were talking to the people who were providing this care below cost. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is an instance where we recommended the client uh, did not take that deal. Um, what would you say to other providers who might be seeing similar offers come across their desk um, from any of the payers wanting them to take on risk for any product? Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, be skeptical. Okay. Um, when a payer wants you to do something, it's almost never because it's in your best interest. It's in their best interest. Now, it can be in your best interest and their best interest, but I guarantee you it's in their best interest. Um, so, 
be skeptical. Um, the devil's in the details. You know, you need to really understand what it is, the environment. Some of these risk deals have worked out very well for providers who understand them, get into them the right way and know how to implement them. And others have been crushing. Um, don't think for one minute that if you get into one of these deals that's bad and you owe the carrier money and you may owe them money and that puts your group out of business that they're not still going to collect because um, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my advice is to be very, very skeptical. Make sure you understand it and don't get into it unless you do understand it. Right. Well, Ron, that's about all the time we have for today. I appreciate you sitting down and sharing uh, your thoughts on this and uh, the other developments in North Carolina as well. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. This is an episode of the Flatlining Podcast. Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.